Welcome to Modern Family Matters, a podcast devoted to exploring family law topics that matter most to you, covering a wide range of legal, personal, and family law matters with expert analysis from skilled attorneys and professional guests. We hope that our podcast provides answers, clarity, and guidance towards a better tomorrow for you and your family. Here's your host, Steve Altitian. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Altitian, Director of Client Partnerships at Pacific Cascade Legal. And today I'm here with author, Reverend Dr. Ken J. Gordon Jr. to discuss the power of an engaged father in a child's life after divorce. Hey, Ken, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you today, Steve? I'm doing well today. I really am. Good. So before we start, I always like to just ask, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, kind of what got you on your journey to where you are now? Yeah, so I will tell you that the first thing I like to always open with is that I'm not a subject matter expert. Um, The reason I've written the books and the reason that I, you know, speak and everything and do everything I do is because I failed forward so much. Um, So that's the biggest thing I want everyone to know is that, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes and and my goal is to help people not make the mistakes I did or if they're already there to kind of pull themselves out of it before they get too far down the road. I love it. I love it. So Derek, one of your books, I mean, really had an intriguing name and it's Divorce But Still Dad, The Mm -hmm. Faith Principles of Fatherhood for Divorced Men. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a lot to break down just at that title. But the first one is, is divorce, but still dad. I, yeah. I saw that. I said, well, that's obvious, you know. But then I kind of thought, nah, you know, it's not just that. There's more to yeah. it than just that, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's funny because if you really wanted to make the title like correct, in a lot of cases, it, w- it would say divorce, but still have children or divorce, but I have kids. But what I really wanted to focus on is there's a difference between a father and a dad. There's a difference between the man in the house or the the head of the house and a dad. A dad is someone who knows his children, who engages with them, who has fun with them, who plants seeds in their lives that grow and blossom into great memories. And so divorce, but still dad was a way of saying, hey, just because you get divorced, you still have to be a dad, not just a man, not just a child support provider, but you got to be a dad. That makes sense. I mean, and, and we actually have a lot of clients, uh, a lot of men who struggle with that during the yeah. divorce, that, that being a dad, because, you know, divorce changes the physical landscape around. Yes, yes. Um, but how, you know, how can they get around that? You know, you know, with different residences and that all yeah. and still be dad. Yeah, I will tell you that it's one word. It's intentionality. You have to go into the divorce understanding that, yes, you and your soon-to-be ex-spouse are kind of walking down this road, but so are your children. And the way that I really see things is your children are your greatest legacy. And so you owe it to them to be intentional about remaining engaged, about remaining in their lives, about making sure that everything you do is about them, not about your bank account, not about your pride, not about being vindictive, but it's about your children. If you keep your children as the main thing, then I promise you being intentional is not going to be difficult. 
you obviously are a reverend. We talked about that. And you bring that to the table when you talk with people. And yeah. and I you had a I think I was listening to something years and you said you have the 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 biblical and common sense. And I love that. It's that, you know, growing up as an old Catholic, it was like, you know, it's faith and works. <laughs> right. And, and so that, that common sense thing really also strong. And so it, it's not easy for dad. So what kind of things can and should they do? Yeah. And, you know, it, it's not easy. And, and that's what really kind of launched me on this journey is because I am a man of faith. And in the church, divorce is not supposed to happen. And so a lot of divorced people, you know, wear this red D on their chest all around. And it can be uh, sometimes um, discouraging, sometimes embarrassing. But I, I was questioning and I'm saying, how do I go through divorce in a way that's real, but also honors God? Because here I am, a man of the cloth. Here I am, a, a minister, but I hate her. I hate her. I don't want her to get my barbecue grill, my big green egg. She doesn't deserve that, all the artwork. So what do I do about that? There were books that I, I saw out there by people who were uh, psychologists and, and people who were psychiatrists, et cetera. Okay, but I'm a man of the cloth. This, okay, there's a different dynamic. Then there were people out there that you know were like mega church pastors who have never been divorced. Okay, you're a man of the cloth, but you don't know what it feels like to have to love everyone, but I hate that person. I hate him. I hate her. So what does that look like? And that's what really drove me down a journey of, of writing it. But when I got ready to write it, I didn't want to make it a religious book. I didn't want to make it a Bible. I wanted to make it something that was real, that really could help people identify because they're like, yeah, I know what that feels like. And so I said, what can I use as a guide? Well, I'm going to use as a guide the Bible, because just like some people use USA Today or some people use, you know, the London Times or whatever it is to get their information and to kind of inform their decisions. I think I'm going to use this old book that's been around for 2000 years. But I say early in the book, look, if you don't accept it, if you don't believe in it, if you don't like it, that's great. And just throw it out the window and just listen to some of what I have to say and go from there. But I think at the end of the day, for me, it was just really a matter of what are the real principles that I'm really dealing with that really speak to who I am? And I think what that really means is how do I deal with my children? How do I deal with their mother? How do I deal with my life after my children? And how do I compartmentalize all of this in a way that doesn't make me bitter, but it makes me better? Okay, three things on that. Dealing with the ex-spouse, dealing with the kids, and then dealing with yourself after divorce. Yeah. Um, the kids, they get caught up in this. And, and I know that you you talk about that, that being something that you really need to try to avoid. Um, yeah. Because anytime I think I heard you say that when you speak badly about your spouse to the kids, yeah. they hear it differently. They do. Can you talk about that a little. They do. They do. The thing that I remind everyone is that our children, they are 50% of me and 50% of their mother. They are 50% of you or 50% of their father. Like it or not, it is what it is. Yeah. And so when you talk bad about that ex, about their father, about their mother, what you're in essence doing is you're telling them that 50% of who they are is not good. 
you're actually saying you are terrible. You are a deadbeat. You're a cheater. You're a liar. You're a this, you're that. And you're like, no, 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 I'm saying it about their father. No, you're saying it about half of who they are. And so if you keep that in mind, when you are talking with your children about the, about your ex or soon to be ex, then you'll modulate your language and you'll be careful of what you say, because our children are made up. Their self-esteem comes from who they see in their lives as their influencers and children see their parents as their nearest influencers. You also talked about a word that doesn't get used a lot in, in divorce and co-parenting and it's amicable and really stressing for that. In fact, I think you say it's vital for the children again. And they do that. Sometimes that's tough because sometimes the other side isn't amicable. Yes. And, and how do you kind of man or father deal with that? Yeah. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not necessary. And just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not possible. And so when I started off my divorce, I started off like a lot of men. I hunkered down. I went and got the best attorney I could find. I actually went looking for an attorney that specialized in representing men. I went around my house putting sticky notes on the things that I refused to let go of. You're not getting this. You're not getting that. But after a little while, I understood that this war that I was entering into was going to have casualties and the casualties were going to be my children. And so it became important, imperative, vital to me that I figure out a way to make it amicable. And the reason I had to is because of the collateral damage. I wasn't willing to accept the collateral damage. So I'm not telling you it's easy. But I sat down with my ex and I said, we can give all of our money to attorneys or we can give our money to our children. We can spend all of our time fighting and then our children become the collateral damage or we can figure out a way as adults to make this work. What I tell most men is the thing that you must remember is that many women and forgive me, I'm going to paint with a very broad brush here. And if this is not some of your listeners, that's fine. But many women are driven by security. That's what's important to them is the need for security. If that soon to be X is not behaving or not amicable or, or is upset and angry, it's probably because number one, she's hurting badly or he's hurting badly over what you did and how you treated them. Or two, there's not a sense that you're going to honor your commitments and you're going to secure them in the way that you're supposed to, that you should. And so I believe that if you can communicate to that person that, you know what, I am going to pay child support, I am going to pay it on time, I am going to be here for the children, I am going to be here to take them to their baseball practice, to their cheerleading events or whatever it is. If you can convince them that you're not going to all of a sudden become a phantom or the invisible man, then generally the relationship changes right there. And I believe it can. You talk about, and you talked about earlier, you learned this the hard way. Yes. <laughs> and I, I think you told me uh, at one point that you decided at that point to be more, I mean, more involved, at least more as much with your kids and stay close. Yes. Even physically. And yes. so you even, you moved close. I mean, I, that's fascinating. When divorce came to my door, what I knew is I knew I wanted to be a dad. I, I wasn't done being a dad. I was divorcing, but I wasn't done being a dad. And so what that meant to me is proximity matters. 
Um, I had jobs that I could have taken in different states, but proximity mattered. Relationship with my children mattered. Seeing them and being a part of their life mattered. And so I purchased a house three blocks away from where we were living when, when you know, their mother and, and, and me were married because I wanted to be close to them. I needed to be near to them because I didn't want being a dad to be words, I wanted it to be actions. It was so important to me, as a matter of fact, that not only did I purchase a house three blocks away, but I needed the house to be smaller than the ones that the one that they were living in. I needed for the, the flat screen TV to be smaller than the one they had, because what I did not want is I did not want my children to come to my house and see that I was living better without them than I was with them, because those kinds of things affect the psyche and they matter. It's amazing the things that kids absorb. Yes. And I probably will get this wrong. <laughs> Catechism was a tough time. But <laughs> but I remember learning and it was like is it the is it the 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 fruit of the seeds? Um and it's kind of like going forward, mm. you're still planting seeds. And bearing fruit, you're you're not stopping. And so you don't, the divorce doesn't end at the divorce decree. Right, right. Yeah, and, and we have to remember that our children are the seeds that when harvested will give us our legacy and they will allow this world to go on and be a better place, hopefully for them and, and everyone around them. And you have to sow your seeds and you have to remember that the seeds that you have sown are so much about who we are. And what that means to me is when you sow seeds into your children that produce bitter fruit, then your children then have negative relationships. They have a negative outlook on life. They have a negative relationship even with you. When divorce first came to my door, for the first three or four months, my children wouldn't even speak to me. They refused to come to my house. They wouldn't even speak to me. And the reason was because they believed everything that they had heard. They believed everything that a hurting parent told them about the other parent. And my family was pleading with me, please talk to your children and give them your truth. Tell them it's not true. And I said, I won't. I won't because, number one, I need to allow them to be children. I'm not going to bring adult themes and put them onto children's minds. And so the time will come when they will understand. But I'm I'm not going to tell them that because I need them to to enjoy being children and to remain there. And eventually they saw even, you know, my daughter said to me one day, she said, I really wish that you would have told me that it wasn't true because your silence meant to me that it was all true. She says, but I'm so glad you didn't do that. I'm so glad you let me be a child because eventually I did see that it was lies. And I think that's so critical. I kind of like that moving into the future. It's tough if you're just by yourself too. I mean, it's harder to do it alone. I mean, is there other ways to kind of get some support? Well, so a couple of things about that. So the first one is the obvious question is some people go looking after divorce to another person to console them, to comfort them. And, you know, one of the things I talk about is this concept of hide and seek. I think it's critical in the development of your children that they don't see you come straight out of a marriage and jump right into a relationship. 
And what's even worse is if you come out of a marriage and jump into multiple relationships, because remember, their self-esteem is tied to you and your actions. And so you need to hide your relationships from your children until the time comes that you're either very serious about a person or until your children have matured to a point where they can understand who you really are as a person. And I think that's critical. But the other thing that I think is critical when you talk about support and and doing it alone is therapy, clinical therapy. I'm a pastor and I get the luxury because I am a pastor to say what I'm about to say, because I have a PhD in counseling. I have a doctorate in communications and I pastor a church. One of the worst mistakes that many people make is going to their pastor for therapy when things like this happen. I understand that, you know what, if if there's something in your spiritual life that you need, you know, guidance on from your pastor, great. But there are a lot of issues which require real clinical therapy from, from people who are clinically trained, and this is what they do. That's what I went to. That's what I made sure my children went to. And I would say to everyone, that's the support. That's where you get your support. You don't get your support from the gym. You don't get your support from a bar. You don't get your support from these other temporary kinds of things. You get your support from learning from your mistakes, because here's the thing. In every divorce, there's not one person that's 100% responsible. All of us can look at ourselves and learn and do better. And the way to really get the support is to get a clinical therapist and to really understand why things evolved the way they did and what you could have done differently or better, if anything, and at what point. This is all really, like you said, common sense, real stuff. Yeah. Uh, But- I also want to kind of go back because we we talked a little bit about what I would call the shame of divorce. Yep. And and how that's a very real thing. And the other, and it leads to me, I think, to the other part of your book, the other part of the name, and that is the the biblical and common sense realities that every man should adopt. And could you go through a couple? I mean, you know, one of the things that a lot of people are afraid to do is, is to hear faith-based things, because between you and me, a lot of people have weaponized that on both ends. No doubt. (laughs) So now it's like, oh, don't tell me that because that's, you know, tainted. But it's not necessarily tainted because, you know, there was the wisdom of the ages in that stuff. So could you kind of go through a couple of the ones that, that, you know, if I walk in and, and start to talk to you, you might, you may say, well, this is what the Bible says and this is what they're talking about. Yeah, I'll direct this to the men because this is uh, really directed at what men need to do as dads. There's a, a principle, you know, that I talk about protector, provider and priest. These are biblical terms. These are, are biblical kind of of a harvest, something I get from there. But but here's the thing. What I say is that as a man, a, as a man, I believe God has called us to be protector, provider and priest. But here's what that means. He calls you to be a protector. But being a protector doesn't always mean protecting your family from everything outside. A lot of times being a protector means protecting your family from you, protecting your family from your moods, protecting your family from your callousness or your coldness or your lack of communication or your aloofness. Sometimes as men, we we are not as touchy-feely and we're not as tuned into our emotions. And so we come across as cold and, and unattached and detached. Being a protector means 
understanding that that can be the case and learning to soften when it is necessary for your children and for your family. A provider is not just providing bringing home the bacon. It's not just going out and working 80 hours a week. It's not just getting out and doing all of that. But providing also means providing love, providing self-esteem, providing validation. And so we often overlook that when we think, oh, I'm a provider. Only halfway because you're only bringing home money. But what are you doing about their emotional support? you got to provide for that as well. And then finally, a priest means you've got to have a relationship with with a higher power. Call the name, whatever you want to call it, whoever you pray to, it doesn't matter. But having a higher power, someone that gives you hope, is important for all of us in centering ourselves and having that foundation. And that doesn't mean sending your children to church or to uh, you know the synagogue or, or, or you know the mosque. It means taking them. It means living a life that is principled. It means being better today than you were yesterday. So these are principles behind the faith principles that are important because too many times in our relationships, we forget that we are supposed to be a protector, provider, and priest. And that just doesn't mean external facing, but it means internal as well. And that gets around one thing I was wanted to talk about, that you have the, I talk about the engaged father. Yes. and the importance of that. And when it, it to me, it, it comes off, what's coming off is that you remain in close contact and, and don't change your mm-hmm. fatherness with your kids. I mean, yeah. that just has to keep going, I imagine. I mean, it's that, that engagement with the kids seems to me to be super important. It is. And I will tell you that what what I take from being engaged is I get so tired of hearing people talk about men who are present in the household or what how many households had had a dad who was present. Who cares if he was present, if he was on his cell phone the whole time? Who cares if he's present, if he's on his Game Boy or his Nintendo or has the remote and he's sitting in his comfy chair and looking at TV the entire time? Being present means nothing. Being engaged is what children need, is what the family needs. Being engaged means knowing your children and not just knowing that you have children. Do you know your children's friends? Do you know their favorite music? Do you know their hopes and their fears? Do you know where they want to be? Not what you want them to be, not creating in them a mini me, but actually who they really are and what they really want to be. That is an engaged dad who really knows his children. And again, not just knows that he happens to have children. Well, unfortunately, we are, again, zipping through our 30 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Before, this is fascinating and and, and useful and should be heard. So before we do come to a final conclusion, Mm -hmm. is there something we didn't talk about or maybe a, I wish you'd asked me that question, or a last minute or a last sort of thing you would like fathers, dads, to take away. And, and the other thing is, I should say, this book isn't just for dads, is it? No, no, not at all. So two answers to your questions very quickly. It's not just for dad. And, you know, my wife, Leslie, and I is my wife that I'm married to now. She says to me all the time, you should have changed the title because there are a lot of women who could really benefit from reading this book to really understand how men think and really understand where the bar should be set to be a man. Leslie wrote the foreword in the book to talk about, hey, if you're dating a man who's divorced, these are red flags you need to look for. My daughter wrote you know, a chapter in the book to say, hey, if you're a, a parent going through divorce, especially a dad, 
here's how children feel when it comes to their doorstep. So no, it's not just for dads, but it really can give you insight into that. And as far as what I wish you would have asked me, first of all, Steve, you've been amazing. You've asked me some really great questions. The only thing I would say is that for all the men out there, I would just remind you of your legacy. I don't know of any men who don't love their children. I just don't. We love our children. And many of us are willing to do the hard work that it takes to make sure they're good. And I would say to you, if you stay engaged in spite of difficulty, in spite of hurt or pain or animosity or, or, or any of, if you can stay engaged, then you know what? Your children will be better for it. And that's for the whole time. I mean, how old, how old is your daughter now? 24. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't stop. You no, know? no, it doesn't. That's the one thing I've learned. My kids are in their thirties and they're kids and I'm dead. And <laughs> that's that right. never that's right. changes. My daughter wrote the chapter in the book when she was 12. She's 24 now. And just this morning, I'm texting her, giving her advice on what kind of a laptop uh, she needs for her college work. So <laughs> it yep, doesn't yep. stop. And because I've left the right legacy, it can continue the way it should. Right, right. Oh, my gosh. that This was wonderful. I really, really want to thank you for doing this. What I really love about you was you, you bring this depth of advice and knowledge but it's clear. It's understandable to people like me. And, you know, <laughs> that's, that's what it really is. Well, um, I'm glad. Thank you. But before we go then, people who want to maybe learn more or get in contact with you, how can yeah. they do that? So I have a website called Dads of Faith, Dads of Faith. And that tells a lot about really the message that I want to give to men to encourage them and to get them to lean into fatherhood. And then it shares about, you know, the, the books that I have and, and contact information, et cetera. But Dads of Faith is how they would do it. I love it. I love it. And you wrote some other books. I did. In fact, aren't you writing a series? <laughs> I am. I'm writing a children's series on engaged dads, as it were. I love it. I love it. I, I'm I'm definitely going to be the first one. I think it's like Pancake Dad. And Ice Cream Dad just came out two weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> how can you not love that? Well, thank you again for being here today. My pleasure. And everyone else, thank you for joining us. And if anyone has any further questions on today's topic, you can post it here and we can help you get connected to Ken or he just give you some stuff. But in any case, until next time, Stay safe, stay happy, and be well. This has been Modern Family Matters, a legal podcast focusing on providing real answers and direction for individuals and families. Our podcast is sponsored by Landerholm Family Law and Pacific Cascade Family Law, serving families in Oregon and Washington. If you are in need of legal counsel or have additional questions about a family law matter important to you, please visit our websites at LanderHomeLaw.com or PacificCascadeFamilyLaw.com. You can also call our headquarters at 503-227-0200 to schedule a case evaluation with one of our seasoned attorneys. Modern Family Matters, advocating for your better tomorrow and offering legal solutions important to the modern family.